This morning's reading comes from Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11 to the end of the chapter. So Luke 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, 
you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kerry, too. Good morning, everybody. We've reached possibly the most familiar parable that Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son. Last week, we were on unfamiliar territory with the shrewd manager, but here we know the story, or most of us do. Let's pray that God will speak to us through it. Lord Jesus, you know the Father perfectly, and you came to reveal his love by what you said and what you did. And in this story, you talk about the compassion of the father for both these sons, the younger one and the older one. We pray, send your spirit on us now as we think about this story. And whoever we identify more with, may we know your compassionate love for us and give us grace to grow in our relationship with you. So come and speak, as we sang earlier, by the power of your word. Come and shine your light into our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some years ago, when C.S. Lewis was at Oxford, he was in his room working, and there was a gathering down the corridor, and there was, there was quite a debate going on, quite a heated debate, to the point where he couldn't concentrate. And he went down the corridor to uh, express his displeasure and he found a symposium, a, a seminar on world religions there. And he said, what's all this rumpus about? And they said, well, we're, we're trying to talk about what's most distinctive about Christianity uh, compared to all the other religions. And he said, well, that's easy, it's grace. And he stormed off again. I'm not sure he, dem <laughs> not sure he demonstrated the grace very well. But he's absolutely right that the notion of God's love coming to us free, free grace that we don't deserve with no strings attached, goes against all our human instincts and all the other religions. It goes against the Buddhist path. It's different to the Hindu karma. It's different from the Muslim law code. And it's very different from a British trying to just earn it. Uh, it's grace. And Jesus makes God's love unconditional. We can't earn it. We can receive it. And at the end of the service, we will sing that great hymn, Amazing Grace, the hymn that John Newton, the slave trader, wrote, who, uh, a wretch, as he describes himself, captain of a boat with slaves, caught in a storm in the Atlantic, cried out for God for mercy, and God saved him. And he thought, if God cares for me, it changed his life completely. He said no to the slave trading, uh, gave his life to the Lord as a vicar and writing hymns, if you go to his parish in Olney in Buckinghamshire, you can see or read, read all about it. We'll sing that amazing grace. When we know that, it transforms us. Uh, the context for this chapter, if we read the first verse, Luke 15, verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. They sensed something of this amazing grace, that they'd been taught that they were outcasts, 
But Jesus comes and welcomes them in, an extraordinary grace. And the Pharisees are not impressed, verse 2. Uh, the, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They are outraged at his grace. And in this chapter, Jesus tells these three stories. Eleanor's going to be preaching this evening on the lost sheep and the lost coin. And today we have, well, it's often known as the prodigal son, but really it's the two lost sons, the younger one and the older one, both lost in different ways. And Jesus tells us, in Luke 19, verse 10, that he came to seek and save the lost. Uh, and that is all of us. So whether we're more like the younger or the older, um, there'll be uh, things to learn from the sheep and the coin later as well. He came for us. We'll think about the younger brother first, then we'll think about the older brother, and then we'll bring it into land. So Luke tells this story so matter-of-factly. There was a a uh, younger brother who said, Father, I want my share of the property and I, I want to clear off. Uh, that we don't notice quite how radical it would have been. We are used in our generation in the West to people leaving home regularly, perhaps 16 and 17-year-olds who can't cope anymore clearing off. But in Jesus' day, this is almost unheard of. Uh, some years ago, I read Ken Bailey's work. If you get Ken Bailey, who's was a, a scholar, who, a Christian scholar, who lived in the Middle East most of his life and told the parables of Jesus in the villages of the Middle East uh, in the second half of the last century, trying to get back to what impact would they have had on Jesus' hearers, hearers when he was talking in these village rural communities. Uh, he says this, For over 15 years I've been asking people of all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while his father is still living. The answer has always been emphatically the same. The conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone did make such a request, what would happen to him? His father would beat him, of course. Why? The request means he wants his father to die. So the inheritance normally comes when the father dies, and the son is basically saying, Father, I wish you were dead, I want the money. I don't want you, I want your money. And the scandal of this request uh, that Jesus' hearers would have felt to start with would have only been matched by the shock that the father says yes. What sort of father is that that gives that freedom? And of course, Jesus is telling us about a divine father. He's painting a picture of how people feel that find themselves alienated from God by rebellion, by saying, God, I don't want you, but I do want your stuff. We like the material things God gives us, but we don't want him. Uh, we wish God would get out of our lives and leave us alone. Though, of course, when that happens, we're the ones that miss out, as the story makes plain. Now, this search for independence, for freedom, is very contemporary. We understand it. There's a, uh, the son wants a freedom from moral inhibitions, from parents cramping his style. He feels the urge to go and taste life to the full, afraid that he's missing out the village life in his father's house feels like it's just so restrictive and the bright lights are so enticing. Uh, 
And people turn their backs on God for exactly the same reasons. Christianity doesn't look exciting. It seems restricted. They don't believe Jesus when he said, he's come that we may have life and have it to the full. Well, we know the story. The younger brother goes off. He no doubt has a lot of fun while the money's there, and then it runs out. And he winds up descending into his own hell. He finds himself feeding pigs, alone, hungry, and ashamed. And for a Jewish boy to be feeding pigs is particularly the lowest of the low. He's not free at all now. He's trapped and his life feels so empty. And so it is for millions who turn their backs on God. Without God, nothing fulfills its promise. Eventually, people realize there's an emptiness inside, whatever things are looking at outside. People try and fill it with more and more stuff, more and more pleasures, more and more activity. Uh, but they need to stop and think. We know that God's made us, and to try and live without him will be ultimately unsustainable. People often ask in our society, what's going wrong? Well, of course, our society's turned its back on God, and it cannot be sustained. We can't have all God's stuff without him. So the younger brother in his pigsty uh, it does come to his senses. He stops and thinks. There's this great inner crisis. What am I going to do? I'd be better off as a servant at home. My dad treats them well. He pays them. He feeds them. I'll go back. But how will my dad treat me? What will my brother do to me? What will the village do to me? He's scandalized the whole village, not, not just the family. So he invents his speech and rehearses it. He's sorry. He's made a mess. And he'll work. He knows his father well enough to ask for mercy, but never in his wildest dreams does he anticipate grace. And here's the next shock of the story. That as he comes down the road, no doubt in rags and his head down, wary of what the village will do, his father comes running to him. His father must have been looking for him, waiting. We don't know how long for. Looking, waiting. And his father runs down the road. Uh, Ken Bailey suggests trying to get to him before the village did, to protect him from what the village might do to him. And it's humiliating for the father. Uh, you don't tend to see oriental noblemen running in their flowing robes. They walk discreetly. And you don't ever see the king running, do you? He's always walking, measured, in a suit with his hand in his pocket. <laughs> sort of. it's, you just don't see that. And here is this elderly gentleman running down the road. He doesn't care what the village thinks of him. He wants to express his love and he wants his son back. And the son starts his speech, but he doesn't get to finish it. His father orders the best robe and a signet ring. He wants shoes on his feet. Remember that old spiritual song, all God's children got shoes. It's a sign of belonging in the house. And he kills the fatted calf, so it will feed the whole village, 100, 150 people, to come to a celebration. And clearly the father is a picture of God. He longs for us to know his deep love and compassion for each one of us. God wants you to know that for you. And Jesus wants us to know what sort of welcome we get from God when we come back. There may be some of you here who are just finding your way back to God, or someone watching online, what sort of welcome will you get? You will have the arms open wide welcoming you from a God of compassion. 
And never in our wildest dreams could we have imagined that. Never could we have imagined that God would treat us like that when we've all messed up so badly. But we know it's true because of Jesus. Because in Jesus, God came running to us. At Christmas, we celebrate how he came as a baby, born in that stable. At Easter, we remember that it cost him not just his reputation, but his life on the cross to make the way to God back open. And when we see the way Jesus treats people, we see this extravagant welcome. Zacchaeus, we'll find in a few weeks' time, rich and outcast but welcomed by Jesus. The woman caught in adultery, the thief on the cross. Jesus welcomes people that everybody else casts out. Now, some are like the younger brother. But some of you will be saying, well, that's, I know that's true, but that's not really my story. I'm perhaps a bit more like the older brother. I've never really rebelled. I've always been outwardly respectable. I try to do the right thing. But God seems distant from me. And what struck me this week, reading through this familiar story again, is that it's primarily told to the older brothers. Remember at the start, verses 1 and 2, the sinners were crowding around Jesus and the Pharisees were muttering. And Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees, to the older brothers, the self-righteous. So let me read the bit about the older brother again. Quite often when this parable is preached, the focus is on the younger brother. But I think the force of it is to the older brother, scandalised by what's happened to the younger one. Let me read from verse 25 again. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, the older brother is clearly distant from his father. Not physically, he's there. But emotionally, there's this huge distance. Uh, as big a distance, in a sense, as the physical distance was with the younger brother. When the younger brother left home, the Middle Eastern listeners would expect the older brother to take up the role of reconciler. There's been this rift between the younger son and the father. The older brother should have, would have been expected by all those societies to try and patch it up, uh, take up the role of reconciler. But he doesn't do that. He's probably rather pleased for the younger brother to go, good riddance, <laughs> he's an annoying little brother, get rid of him. Uh, when the younger brother comes home, this party atmosphere starts and the older brother hears it and he's really suspicious. Now, a son with a normal relationship with his father would immediately enter eager to join in. What's going on? Great. But he's suspicious. He stays outside. He finds a servant to get the explanation. And he finds his younger brothers come home. 
and he decides not to go in. He stays outside the banquet. Now again, Middle Eastern custom would require him to be there and to be a host and to make sure everybody's got enough to eat and drink and to look after the guests. And that's, I mean, it's normal in any family party. He's expected to be there. But if he enters the house, he'll be seen to join the celebration, honouring his brother. He'll be expected to embrace him publicly. He'll be expected to accept compliments on how pleased he is to have him back. And he's clearly not pleased. The time to complain to his dad is after all the guests have gone. Uh, it's a bit like just in our culture, if there's a family party, you don't demonstrate a family rift or argument in front of everybody else. <laughs> you do it when they've all gone home. So much so in the Middle East. So he chooses to humiliate his father by quarrelling while the guests are there and he stays outside. Highly insulting. So now there's this potential rift between the father and the older brother, nearly as radical as that with the younger one. The father would be expected to be livid, to ignore his son, to punish him or to show real displeasure. But for the second time in the day, the father goes out from the house. Earlier in the day, he's run out to the younger brother. Now he goes out to the older brother, only in humiliation for himself and a demonstration of unexpected love. He's no less anxious for the older brother, the older son, than he was for the younger one. What will be the response? Well, that's where the story is left hanging and Jesus is inviting the Pharisees to put themselves in that place. How will they respond? Like the younger brother, the older brother's insulted his dad and invited harsh punishment. And like the younger brother, he gets love and grace. But instead of confession, there's complaint. And he demonstrates the attitude not of a son, but of a servant. I've slaved for you all these years and you never even gave me a goat. He thinks the calf reflects the son's worth. The, the, calf, the fatted calf reflects the father's joy. Celebrate with me. My son is back, but the older brother can't see it. He accuses his dad of favoritism. You obviously love him more than you love me. That's not true. And the father responds with love again. He could order the son to come in, but what's the point? He doesn't want another servant. He wants a relationship with his son, a father-son relationship. He assures him his rights are protected. He's still the son. He's still, it's all his. And so far, it there's a parallel between the first half of the story and the second. Both sons rebel, one outwardly, one inwardly. Both sons break the father's heart. Both end up in a far country, one physically, one emotionally. And the father shows unexpected love grace to both of them what will the older brother do well now we often restrict being lost to being like the younger brother people who are very obviously making shipwreck of their lives and lost but the older son is just as lost uh, the younger brother's lostness is easy to identify he wastes money he wastes time he loses friends he rebels against family rebels against the morality swept away by his own lust and greed. We can understand that. The lostness of the older brother is harder to identify. He's outwardly so respectable. He does the right things. He's obedient. He's hardworking. He's law-abiding. People respect him, probably admire him, probably praise him as a model son, outwardly flawless. 
But when he's confronted by his father's joy at the younger brother returning, this dark power erupts within him and he boils over. And suddenly we see someone who's resentful, proud, unkind, selfish. Uh, I've been reading Tim Keller's book on the prodigal well, it's not called the prodigal son. It's called the prodigal God. We could just we could put the, you can't quite see it. It's in yellow. But Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, the prodigal God. This is a brilliant book, going through this story at much more length than we can do in one set. And he changes the title from the prodigal son to the prodigal means it's sort of reckless and extravagant, and it's about God's reckless, extravagant love for us, whether we're more like the younger brother or the older brother. And in it, he tells the story. Of, have you, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the film Amadeus about Mozart. I remember seeing that years ago. He tells the story of Salieri, the very gifted musician who um, makes a bargain with God as a young man. God, I will serve you and give you my talents to your glory, but please will you sort of honour me? And it all seems to be going really well. Salieri winds up as a great musician. He's honoured and respected and he's very respectful. And then along comes Mozart with far more talent and who's utterly immoral in everything. And Salieri is scandalised. And it's outrageous that this person who's more like the younger brother has got all this talent and God obviously is blessing him. And this dark power erupts in Salieri. Um, if you want to watch that film again or just read about that. It's a wonderful sort of description of what the old, what's going on in the older brother. That we can look outwardly respectable, but inwardly there can be this sense of entitlement. Uh, and how many of us who may have come back to faith as younger brothers actually become more like older brothers? I find this in me from time to time when something goes wrong. God, I'm working so hard and doing this and this has happened and I'm really cross and I find I've become the older brother. I was preaching on Jonah recently at one of my dad's old villages. They had a big celebration a few weeks ago. And the story of Jonah in chapter 1 and 2, he's like the younger brother. He runs away and he gets in a mess and comes back. And then in chapter 3 and 4, he's like the older brother. He does the right thing, but he's seething with anger about God's grace. And uh, it may be that you identify with one or other or a bit of both. The point is... Whichever one you're like, God loves you and he wants to know you as a son or a daughter. Not just a servant who works respectably and gets their wage, but someone who knows the love of God and is deeply secure in that. And my sense is that for some of us who've been Christians a long time and we're working hard and carrying heavy loads, we can become like the older brother. We can lose touch with God's grace and be outside the family home. And God calls, he comes out to us just as much for us to step back in as he does to the younger son coming back from his pigsty. I find some people seem to think that God's judgment is he's sending people. He's choosing who's coming to heaven and who's going to hell. But the story here is of a God who goes out to everybody and says, come in. And if you choose not to come in, God won't force you. And that's where the story, this story ends. The older brother's outside. He's been invited to come in. What will he do? It reminds me of in, in John chapter 3, Jesus says this. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. 
Light comes into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly what they've done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus shines this light and invites us closer in. And the older brother, confronted with the light and the joy, can't bear it. And, well... Does he stay out? Does he come in? That's where the story is left. The older brother feels he deserves a reward. Now, Jesus is very clear. We cannot have heaven or being part of God's kingdom as a reward. It's a gift. It's grace. We'd love to walk in with our head held high saying, look at me, haven't I done well? It doesn't work like that. We come in on our knees. We've been praying rightly for Israel and the Holy Land. I spent a year there as a young man and I remember visiting Bethlehem and going to the church of nativity where the doorway is so low you can only go in on your knees and that's the point. You can't walk in. We come on our knees to approach and the older brother cannot have his pride and experience the love of the father. So I wonder which one you identify most with. The younger one you've messed up there is a huge welcome for you if you come back to God. The older one, outwardly respectable, but you know that inwardly churning away. Come back in today uh, to the love of the Father. And I want to extend this invitation, as it were, on behalf of the Father to everybody. Come back home. Some of you will just be aware you've got it beginning to get a bit distant. Come back in. Some of us are aware that there's a bit of a Pharisee in, a, in us and we need to come back into the love of the Father. And then when we do, we need to become more like the Father, welcoming others in, younger brothers, older brothers, going out to welcome people in our vision to give everybody in this community, this area, a chance to respond to this wonderful good news of Jesus. But first we need to be living it. Uh, so would you stand and we'll pray together for all of us to know the love of the Father. Band, if you'd come back ready to lead us in amazing grace in a bit. But first we'll pray. Lord Jesus, how we praise you for your amazing grace. That rather than punish us for our sin, you took it on yourself on the cross. Come by your spirit now and take this truth that we've been meditating on deep into our hearts. That you come to us with your arms open wide, inviting us to come in. For anyone who identifies as the younger brother who's made a real mess, today would be a great day to say to the Lord, Father, I'm sorry. I've messed up. I'm not worthy. But thank you that you welcome me. Please forgive me. Please fill me with your spirit. Please help me to know your love and to live the rest of my life the way you would have me live. Some who've become older brothers will want to say, Lord, I recognize myself in this. You see into me and you see the exhaustion, the tiredness, the anger, the crossness. 
Come, Holy Spirit, and give me grace to come back into your love. And we pray, Holy Spirit, pour your love down on all here today, on all watching at home. That whoever we're more like, we would know that you come out to us. Let's just be still for a minute. thinking of this father's invitation to the older son to step in. If you're sensing at all distance from the father, can I invite you just to take a step? It may even just be <laughs> a foot forward, just one foot, just a, a physical step, just saying to yourself and to the Lord, Lord, I want in, I want to come in. And we thank you, Father, that when you saw that younger brother coming home, you ran to him. Come to each one here. You see what's going on inwardly. Wherever anyone is taking a step back to you, come and throw your arms around them and pour your spirit into them and assure them that sins are forgiven, that there is a welcome. And it's not because we've got it right, it's because of Jesus and his grace. And we ask for our church family here at St. Paul's that we would become more and more like the Father and that you would use us to welcome many home into your great kingdom, whether younger brothers or older brothers. Give us grace to become more like the Father. So continue to pour your spirit down as we sing of your grace and mercy for us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.